Welcome to the Derek Prince Ministries podcast, helping you to grow stronger in God. For more than six decades, best-selling author and Bible teacher Derek Prince has been a source of inspiration for millions of believers around the world. You too can benefit from his compelling biblical insights. And now, Derek Prince. Yesterday, I spoke about the blessedness of being forgiven. I mentioned some of the beautiful consequences that flow from forgiveness. Reconciliation, peace, harmony, understanding, and even in some cases, physical healing, like the case of the lady who was dying and the psychiatrist just spoke to her unconscious mind and said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I remit your sins. And a week later, she was perfectly healed. In fact, it really is impossible for the human mind to measure all the blessed consequences that flow from forgiveness. In my talk yesterday, I also explained that forgiveness is like the cross. The cross has two beams, one vertical, one horizontal. The vertical beam represents our relationship with God. The horizontal beam represents our relationship with our fellow human beings. And forgiveness is like the cross. It extends vertically toward God. Each one of us needs to receive God's forgiveness personally. The horizontal beam is our re relationship with our fellow men. And in that horizontal direction, forgiveness flows two ways. We have to forgive others, and we need to receive forgiveness from others. I also explained yesterday why we all need forgiveness from God. Romans 3.23 covers it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we all need to be forgiven, because we have all sinned. doesn't necessarily mean we've all committed some terrible crime that would be judged a crime by society, but the essence of sin is stated there. We fall short of the glory of God. Our lives have not given God the glory which is his due. We've lived far below the level that God expects of us. Well, today I'm going to speak about the basis for forgiveness from God. This is extremely important. The basis for forgiveness is the cross of Jesus Christ. We can be forgiven only on the basis of what Jesus did on our behalf. More than seven centuries before Jesus suffered and died on the cross, the prophet Isaiah gave us a prophetic preview of what he was to do and why he was to do it. It's found in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Although Jesus is not mentioned by name, all the writers and evangelists of the New Testament alike concur that Jesus is the one who is spoken of here, the nameless suffering servant of the Lord. In Isaiah 53 verses 4, 5, and 6, this is how Isaiah portrays the atonement, the suffering death of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's the basis of forgiveness from God, forgiveness which does not compromise God's justice. God's justice was fully and finally satisfied because Jesus took our iniquity, our rebelliousness, all our guilt. And again, you see, Isaiah emphasizes, as Paul does in Romans 3.23, that none are excluded from the need of forgiveness. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Again, it's not exactly some terrible crime that we may have committed. It doesn't say we've all committed murder or got drunk or anything like that. It says we've gone astray, we've turned to his own way, we've been rebellious, we've been self-pleasers, we've lived by our own standards, and we've robbed God of his glory. And all that is summed up in the one strong word of Scripture, iniquity. But thank God the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. The Hebrew word that's translated laid on him is very vivid. It means made to meet together on him. All the sins, all the guilt, all the burdens of all men, of all ages and all races, past, present and future, came and met together upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he hung on the cross, he did not die for his own sins. He was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah says. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. See again how close forgiveness and healing are. They always are. Many, many times people who are seeking healing really need forgiveness before they can be healed. Isaiah says the punishment that brought us peace. You see again, the consequence of forgiveness is peace because Jesus was punished for our sin because he took our place. God offers us peace and reconciliation. Then I want to turn to Romans, the fourth chapter, and see another important lesson about forgiveness. The lesson is this. None of us can earn forgiveness. Paul bases his teaching there on the experience of Abraham, the great forefather of the Jewish people of Israel. And he points out that Abraham did not earn his relationship with God. He was justified because he believed, not because of what he did. This is what he says in Romans 4, verses 1 through 8. What shall we then say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So, Paul is saying if we'd led perfectly good lives, then we would have received the reward of righteousness as a due. But he says because none of us have led perfectly good lives, we cannot claim it as a due we have to receive it out of God's graciousness as a gift. And then Paul quotes those words from Psalm 32 that we looked at yesterday. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. That means we can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to get it. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Blessed words, never will our sin be counted against us. And then he speaks about how Abraham received this blessedness. And he goes on in Romans 4, verse 20. He did not waver through unbelief 
regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God has power to do what he had promised. So you see, the essence of receiving this forgiveness is having unwavering faith that God will do what he's promised to do. And Paul continues, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we have to believe those two aspects of the cross, that Jesus died as the penalty for our sins and was raised again to bring us justification. That's a kind of technical theological word, justify. We are justified through faith in the death of Jesus on our behalf. I always like to give you this explanation of justified. Justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Because when all my sins are forgiven, I'm reckoned righteous with the righteousness of Jesus himself. For the latter part of my talk today, I want to speak about the totality of God's forgiveness. God does not partially forgive. He totally forgives. This is so beautifully set forth in a verse of the prophet Micah, Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. That's perhaps one of the most distinctive features of the God of the Bible, that he delights to show mercy. He's reluctant to inflict judgment. He loves to show mercy. And so Micah goes on in the next verse, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isn't that beautiful? Everything that we've ever done wrong, everything that could ever make us feel guilty, every accusation that the enemy could ever bring against us, God treads them underfoot and then hurls them into the depths of the sea, the deepest sea. And somebody remarked once that when God casts your sins into the sea, he puts up a notice on the beach which says, no fishing. In other words, don't you ever try to go back and resurrect something that God has buried. If God has forgiven you, you're forgiven. There's no questions. There's no reservations. It's total forgiveness. There's another lovely verse in Isaiah 43, verse 25. God speaks to his people and he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. When God forgives us, he blots out the record. It's clean. It's just as though the thing that has been forgiven had never taken place. And not only does he blot out the record, but he blots it out from his own memory. He says that he will remember our sins no more. I just want to tell you this as I close today. God does not have a bad memory, but he has the ability to forget. And when he forgives, he forgets. Thank you for listening. For more inspiring teaching, visit our website at dpmuk.org forward slash podcast. And like our page at facebook.com forward slash dpmuk to join our online community. 
Derek Prince. Teaching you can trust.